Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Sumeya Binganam. I'm a product management leader. I am currently at VMware. I have been in the product management world for almost 20 years, and I'm excited to uh, talk about this topic um, the reason I think this topic is really important is because this is actually defining the path forward in, when there is ambiguity or lack of clarity is probably 50% or more of a PM's job is finding that clarity and then creating alignment. Um, so between those two, uh, it might sound like a simple sentence, but built into all of that are a lot of skills, analytical thinking, influence without authority, communication, uh, so many skills that are really important for a PM. And so for a new PM, there has to be, uh, I think, uh, an understanding of the importance of this, plus a breakdown of the skills that make you effective at uh, finding clarity in ambiguity. And then for the experienced ones amongst us, I think there are techniques. We've all have been using tactics that we find helpful depending on the situation. And there is so much nuance there, uh, some hacks and ways to get this done uh, that we can share with each other and um, upgrade our practice. All right. Thank you, Samea. Pleasure to have you here as always. And uh, speaking of helping each other get better and uh, improve in the practice of product management, I want to turn it over to Red. Could you introduce yourself in case people haven't been listening every week uh, and also share how they could share their experiences or ask questions of our panelists here today and maybe even tell them that Red Circle because it's not just uh, because your name is Red. Yes, thank you, Jeff. Um, so my name is Red. I've been spending what the last ten years uh, idolizing, worshiping, supporting, loving the role of product management. But I am not a product manager. I am a community supporter, a builder. Uh, I mean, I'm in the business of making it easy for product managers to thrive. Uh, one of the founding advisors of the Product Management Center at University of Washington. Uh, we started this clubhouse every week, Tuesday at four, and now we're recording it. So in case you can't stay the whole time, we wish you will, and uh, we will be able to distribute to you afterwards. Also, in the love for community, Jeff, I am going to throw out a humble uh, approach here, a little shameless plug for our Slack channel. So if you are somebody that has a question, wants to meet the moderators, there are, what, 500 now? Uh, people in the uh, almost 474, to be exact, in the Slack channel. If you want access to that Slack channel for product managers, DM me. Just go find me on Twitter or hunt me down on LinkedIn. I don't care. I will be keeping my eyes throughout the show glued to that channel so that y'all can get access. So we're going to have a fun show tonight. <laughs> that's an amazing milestone. 500. That's community building in action. You guys are seeing it every week. I love it. Congrats. 
<laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Matt. I love the unadulterated woohoo. Um, and yes, uh, we're pretty excited here at the, the Product Management Center at the University of Washington, just seeing how many people are looking for community. But really what I'm impressed is how many people are willing to give back to the community, how many people are willing to share their insights. And so we have two such people, or three, including Sumeya, uh, who are willing to share their insights and experiences with all of you today. And uh, you could join the Slack channel or uh, we'll have a moment later on in this show where you could get on stage and have your voice recorded here on the podcast and ask your question directly. Um, but now I want to turn it to Josh, who is joining the, the advisory board and helping us take the Product Management Center to the next level. Josh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself uh, and the products you work on? Hey, everybody. My name is Josh. I am a director of product management at Adobe, and I work in the Lightroom space, which is all photography. I've been doing product management for uh, in different shades since 2001. I started off as kind of like a it, then it was a product specialist, but it was in essence, it was an APM kind of role. And I've just been in product the entire time. Worked at startups, sold my startup to Google, worked at a couple of different other startups, angel invested, started working at other places, and then eventually found myself at Adobe. So that's who I am. I've uh, been doing this, it feels like forever. I'm definitely one of the gray beards uh, these days, uh, but it's super fun. And I think just like Red was saying, huge passion for product management, what product management can do for people and here to help share my experiences and, and how I can make people better producty peoples. All right, Josh, thank you. It's great to have you here. Uh, we're here talking about um, taking this big, ambitious, and probably ambiguous vision and narrowing it down into chunks that you could get uh, your team to, to do. And I want to give us kind of a motivating example and then get Sumeya and Josh's perspective on how you've done this. So just to kickstart the conversation, you know, the Product Management Center aims to give everybody a central place where they know they could go to find knowledge, uh, to create knowledge, uh, to find community, and to find impact where they can help develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. And then the challenge is, how do we take this kind of larger but somewhat ambiguous vision and chunk it down into marching orders that can help people deliver value uh, uh, the product management center and the team here deliver value to product managers. So I'm curious, maybe Sumeya, you could kickstart us as to how have you taken some sort of an ambitious and ambiguous um, thought, and then what's your thought process for narrowing that down and uh, chunking it out uh, and turning it into products? Jeff, as you might know now, <laughs> after hearing me talk for a while, I have a framework for this. Um, and uh, when I say I have a framework, it's just a general set of activities I like to do with the team and a type of thinking I like to do that allows me to arrive at some sort of definition or clarity, but bring the team along. Um, and so I have found over time that having some sort of framework that we can all see what it looks like from the beginning uh, is helpful to everybody. And my framework is, uh, is one that I, that I have been uh, using um, for a while. Uh, it's uh, something that Pivotal Labs uh, has uh, publicized and published and did a lot, a lot of work with, and it's called uh, Discovery and Framing, or DNF. So Discovery and Framing um, is actually not 
invented by Pivotal Labs. Uh, it was invented elsewhere, but we use it effectively and we use it a lot. Uh, and it focuses on two parts. Uh, the first part is the discovery around the problem and the definition of the assumptions we have around the problem. Uh, the definition of who the customer is and who are the people impacted by the problem and narrowing that down into one or two that really matter, uh, that would uh, have a meaningful impact towards the outcome. And then finally, the framing, which is where we start talking about a solution and a path forward. Um, underpinning all of this is an understanding that for us to actually find direction, we have to start by understanding what outcome matters in the conversation. And so if we're talking within the context of a large organization, a corporation, a lot of times the outcomes are defined at a corporate level. They come up as OKRs and in other ways as a vision statement, etc. If you are in a startup where you're truly starting greenfield and building based maybe on an understanding of a, of a problem at a high level, then you have, you have the opportunity or the luxury of defining some of those out, outcomes yourself. Um, and so really, I start with that framework in mind, and I can talk about that in a little more detail, uh, but I want to open it up to others as well. Thank you, Samay. I'm going to turn to Josh with the same question. How do you take a kind of ambiguous, ambitious vision and, and turn it out into to work that can be done by uh, different members of the team? Um, but first, I want to hear from Sumeya, what uh, a summary. What would you say that framework was? DNF? Yeah, discovery and framing, DNF. All right, thank you. Uh, Josh, how do you approach it? Definitely nowhere near as organized as Sumeya. Um, I'm kind of like a chaos PM uh, in some ways. But the main thing that I feel that I, I guess aligns entirely is always go starting at the fundamentals. You know, what, are the, what is the problem we're trying to solve? What are the opportunities that we see? And is there any signal that we already have that can help us accomplish those goals or, or prove that there's reason? And of course, as you mentioned, in a startup, there may not be even signal just yet. And so part of the fun is doing little kind of spikes and experiments to figure out where there is signal. But I've worked uh, for a while at larger corporations, whether it's Google or Adobe, and oftentimes there's the need to be able to figure out, well, what is it that we're trying to do? take that idea and really create, oftentimes I think about like a product concept. What is the product concept? I'm a maybe a little bit older school uh, in that space of saying, I love identifying a clear one sentence description of what it is that we're trying to accomplish, making sure that there's a story that connects to it. Because I'm a big firm believer that human beings, we connect with and we respond to and remember stories better than anything else. And those stories are what can help empower. And I also believe as a product manager, one of our number one jobs is help to empower down. If everybody is constantly coming back to us as product managers, like, okay, what's next? We're never going to scale. We're never going to have the impact that we want to have. So what my focus is, is be able to say, how do I take this ambiguous thing and turn it into something really, really clean and clear? And once we can take that ambiguous idea, turn it into something clean and clear, how do I turn it into a story that resonates and how do I then take that story that resonates and start to create some kind of success metrics? And whether they're OKRs or just KPIs that you can identify and connect it with, those are the things that I end up like handing over to my designers, my engineers, um, my QE, program managers, 
and working together and partnering with them to accomplish those goals and building those as a team. But where I see like the product management opportunity and role and responsibility is to take that nebulous idea and turn it into a really, really tight story. Uh, and that's that's been my approach that's been pretty successful. And at some point, I don't know if that's what you want to do at some point, Jeff and Red and Samea is like turn these into like case studies might be helpful to like even talk through some of these things, which I can do later if it's all interesting. Because talking about these things in nebulous terms, it might be hard to like connect. Like, what does that actually mean? That's something to think about. I'm happy to do as well. Thank you, Josh, for your perspective. And then I think, Ben, are we still on technical difficulty world? Nope, I can hear everyone now. Uh, All right, welcome. Uh, Tell (laughs) us a little bit about yourself. No problem. Tell us a little (laughs) bit about yourself and the products you're working on. Sure, I'm Ben Waddle. I work at Expedia Group. I lead product management for our developer platform and infrastructure team, which is about a 1,200-person organization spanning security, uh, all the developer build and delivery tools, all of our employee IT, all of the uh, things that keep our portfolio of brands up and running in our reliability organization, um, and all of our hybrid and cloud infrastructure that our, what, 23-plus travel brands operate on. DevOps in the house. Welcome, Ben. I, I have a special place in my heart for that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> And so, Samea, I want to give you, while we're getting Ben up to speed, because uh, I don't think his audio was working for the moment, uh, Samea, I want to give you a chance to kind of piggyback on what Josh was saying. Uh, do you have anything to plus one on what Josh said about turning an ambitious, ambiguous vision into uh, motivating and bite-sized work that the team can get behind? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Josh and I essentially said the same thing. We leave in getting to the same point. Uh, but we go about it in two different ways. I, I believe I need a framework because I don't want to lose the team along the way. And because I use a balanced team approach where everyone on the team participates in everything from customer interviews to, you know, problem definition. Uh, so it's necessary for me to actually have some sort of path forward or process map defined so that we can all go, you know, go along it and and work on it. And then at the end, uh, to just repeat what Josh said, we define these uh, lean stories or outcomes or outputs that we want to work on that gets us to the outcomes that matter. Um, And all of that is something uh, that we PMs are responsible for. So at the end of the, the day, everyone on the team is responsible for different parts of the delivery, but it's up to us to, to chart or define that direction. All right. Thank you, Sumeya. Now, Ben, uh, I think you hopefully have enough background to chime in. How do you, what do you do? And uh, do you rely on frameworks or do you have just kind of a tried and true process by which you take an ambitious and ambiguous vision and turn it into marching orders, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, of course there's frameworks, right? But I think the the honest answer there is it, it is it depends, which is not a terribly satisfying answer, I guess, in the in this in the longer run. But um, look, I think when it comes to scoping in general, I think you have to really be clear on what problems are you actually trying to solve, especially when it is big and ambiguous, because sometimes people get overwhelmed. And I think our job as product managers is to take those big things break them down into smaller things so that people understand, especially the engineering teams that we work with, what problems we're trying to solve, what do we need to build, and what does success look like? Uh, And then iteratively over time, how does that equal out to the bigger ambitious thing? Um, So I guess 
from breaking it down, it, it kind of comes down to, well, I look, there's a lot of tools you can use. If it's a smaller initiative, you could start with a charter, right? You could, you could write things out. I think one of the things that we do a lot of in product management is just roadmaps though, right? And um, I don't know, my big push to my team this quarter, uh, looking in, in our first year, back, looking back on our first year of our roadmap is if we have anything on our roadmap that takes longer than a quarter to deliver, I push the teams to break it down to the smallest unit of value, meaning one, I want to keep, I want to time box all of our deliveries within a quarter. And two, I want to make sure that um, we aren't putting too much value, too many things in one initiative for our engineering teams to tackle. So I, I guess in summary, the biggest push is take the big things down and break them down. And then over time, show how little things add up to the, the, the bigger strategic initiative. All right. Thank you, Ben from Expedia. Uh, so now I want to turn it to you, to Josh, Ben, and Sumeya. You've now met each other, hope, I think, for the first time, uh, at least some of you. Do you have any either controversial opinions that you want to float and see uh, what the reactions are? Or do you have any questions for your peers? I have a question. Um, and, and that's uh, a question around experimentation. So um, definitely, I mean, within the framework I use, the, the one around discovery and framing, a good part of the discussion is around the discovery of the right problem and the right customer or the right user. Um, and then we go into framing and start talking about, um, you know, the definition of the solution. Um, I'd love to hear about your experience uh, in ensuring that there is room for experimentation either within uh, the early problem definition or later? And what does that look like on the ground for you? I think what I'm not a big fan of is carving out percentages of capacity overall. So I think there needs to be enough space to try things, new things, uh, and, and innovate, right? I think that's a really important thing. But I don't want to make that separate from our normal activities. I try to make that part of our separate activities. So one of the things that we like to do a lot of in our um, teams, increasingly actually interesting from an internal tool perspective, is uh, leveraging design sprints to actually get out in front of try, so try something new. It doesn't have to be always building an end state product, but it could be as simple as taking, walking in on a Monday uh, with an idea, whiteboarding it on a Monday or Tuesday, and then by the end, you have kind of a working prototype and putting it out in front of our customers who are internal developers many times to use and experiment on that prototype. So that's kind of how we try to handle it is like, let's let's fail quickly. Let's get ideas out in front of it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, certainly doesn't have to be a finished process product, but then that can then go into uh, future iterations. Is that helpful? Is that kind of what we're getting after? Yeah, I, I fundamentally agree with that, with that answer. Uh, I think thinking of experimentation separately is, is not a healthy way to do it. I think for... Most the teams that do this right, they don't even think of it as experimentation. It's part of the overall validation and uh, the discovery. And yeah, they're normal activities. I think if you link it too far away, if you just focus too much on experimentation, it becomes almost like science fair projects that have yeah. a really hard time finding value with your customers, right? It becomes too too abstract. And you, even your internal teams don't even know what to do with it, right? And, and so we try to keep it really practical but also allow for some fun and, and pushing the boundaries of what we're doing through quick failures and prototyping. I'm so glad I get to be the, 
the contrarian here. Woohoo! Sweet. Um, my favorite place to be. I'm always the evermore to disagree. It's, and I don't think that I disagree a lot with what you guys are saying. I think one of the spaces where there's, I think this is even what you were mentioning earlier, Ben, it, it depends. And the nuance that I would introduce into this is there are certain areas in which it's your kind of fundamentals. It's your bread and butter. It's you need, know you need to do this. You need to keep on what wheedling down like uh, or shaving off those edges that are causing some kind of friction along a customer journey. And you're just going to keep on doing it. And you, it can fairly easily, it doesn't require that much experimentation, but it also doesn't, you don't know exactly what it is. So you want to do some user research. You want to understand, you want to try different things out. Like is a blue button going to work better than an orange button? I don't know. Let's try these things and let's figure it out. as we go. Those kinds of things, I agree 100%. That just is part of the process. Like You have to make sure that you don't make any kind of like weird religious conviction kind of approaches to product development and think that you just happen to know the way of doing it. However, on the other side, there's a lot of stuff that we just should not assume that we know exactly what's going to connect. I mean, if you look at how a lot of these interesting products have come about, you look at how Instagram pivoted, you look at how Twitter pivoted, you look at a lot, a lot of these different products – they were experimenting with something that's, I would say, is a pretty big experiment, and you were just trying it out and seeing if this floats, and then pivot hard. And the end result is like maybe that's where this comes out is like to say, how different is it from the end result? If I look at my own experimentation in my own personal life, I have a BFA in photography. I never would have in a million years expected to be a product manager. So like the the experimentation was, I tried being a photographer. Oops, that didn't work. I don't like being poor. I don't like being broke. I'm going to go try tech. <laughs> You know, the idea of like, how do you do that kind of experimentation and what kind of experimentation are you doing? And the way that I look at it, like one framework that I do approach this is for the kind of the normal turning the crank kind of product management. I believe that that's like 70% science, 30% art, or maybe even 80, 80, 20. And it's just like the, the art needs to be in there. But you need to make sure that you're really like focused on hypothesis-driven, scientific approach to things and leaving some space for some experimentation. And that's where I agree with like that kind of space. In the other part of it, I do believe it's more 50-50, where there's like some squishy elements of instinct, what we call product sense, which is our like the product manager spidey sense. How are we going to figure that out? Sometimes I get pinned by my executives, like, why is this thing? And like, just trust me. And we'll just, we'll, we'll time box it. We'll make sure that we resource box it. We'll make sure we're not going to go way outside of this, but we just, we have this hypothesis, this hunch here. We can break it down to why it sounds logically good, but in some ways just let us spend like a little sprint figuring this out and see if there's anything in there. And that's where it's like, we have to dedicate time to that. We have to dedicate time to these bigger bets and have that space. So that's, that's a little nuance that I would probably add into this conversation. It's an interesting question because I think we're answering the same questions from different levels, right? I, I think every company makes big bets. Every company experiments. And certainly, I guess, a lot of the work that we're doing on our company that I'm supporting right now is really lined up to these big bets, which are macro experiments. I would say the way we're going about executing those is, is more tactical in nature, is saying we're fully behind this bet and here's how we're going to deliver on this big strategic initiative. So it's interesting. Like, I, I guess, Josh, my, my point is I agree with everything you said. And uh, I think there's just different ways to. Darn it! I was trying to disagree. Well, I, yeah. I can't. I can't. I can't. Right? Like I was answering, I think, at a different grain than, than oh. you were. And I, I agree. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a tough problem to solve, right? I mean, every we need some controversy. Needs... Let's stick with the the, the, the controversy. <laughs> oh, okay, fine. All right. 
<laughs> no, sorry. Man, you're wrong. Cut you well, you're wrong. And, uh, and, and how about that? We'll just leave it at that. That's perfect. That's, that's the kind of intellectual debates that people are coming here to hear. <laughs> <laughs> you are wrong. Um, so well, sorry Jeff, to cut you off there, Jeff, then, but I, right, I, I hate to cut you off here, but what we just witnessed for everyone in the room is how much product managers are like marriage counselors. They both just get people in the room and force them to talk to each other and listen to each other until the problem disappears. So <laughs> well, well, done. well done. We do that. We literally do that. I've, <laughs> I have, I have actual cases where I can tell you, you know, we, I've put designers and engineers together and had to work through that together. So can I, <laughs> not I too far add, from the truth. I do want to add on that one of my favorite types of executive coaches is actually people that are trained in the Gottman Institute approach of marriage counseling. Like seriously, product managers and marriage counselors, one and the same. <laughs> we got a new career path, a new way to get new new blood into to product management. Uh, speaking of which, I've got one more question before we give Red his moment in the sun to manage the stage, which is what he does every week. Uh, and that's your chance to start asking questions. So gear up for that. But I've got one question for Sumeya, Josh, and Ben, which is at the start of this, I said this conversation should be valuable to people who are in product management for years, and it seems we're getting a lot of value there, and people who are trying to get into product management. And so my question is, if you're trying to get into product management and you're hearing about these frameworks and this need to take ambitious and ambiguous ideas and turn them into uh, discovery and uh, turn them into framing of what, what you're accomplishing... How could somebody in this audience prove that they could do this or how could somebody kind of communicate or what could they do to, to learn this skill before they become a product manager? By doing it. <laughs> and you can do it within, with life problems. You can do it with, um, with anything. Pick a problem that you might have some passion for and, and do that for it. Um, or you can volunteer for a not-for-profit, Chris Chestnut, who is usually here with us, um, you know, usually recommends that. I, I love that recommendation, and I know it has worked for other people. Uh, but yeah, honestly, other than doing it, it people will be able to tell um, when interviewing you if you haven't. Uh, and so you don't have to wait to join a company to actually experience, experiment with it yourself. Um, I know Pivotal Labs, if you search for Pivotal Labs Discovery and Framing, uh, you're going to be able to, sign, to find some content online. Miro has some as well. Um, and, and try it yourself. You know, absent of that, there are a couple of things I would recommend. When, when, when we break down the actual skills that are involved in, in uh, discovery and framing or in narrowing the scope to the right problems and the right customers or users to focus on, uh, we're talking about a number of skills. We're talking about critical thinking, um, so being able to ask the right questions, being able to look at you know, a, a big problem and break it down into multiple assumptions or hypotheses. Uh, the ability to um, ask questions of the target customer or the people exper uh, experiencing the issue or, uh, you know, that, or the people you want to deliver the value to. Um, there, the second uh, thing I would say in terms of actual skills is the ability to Take multiple pieces of information, think through the biases you yourself have uh, 
and make sure they don't drive uh, you know all the the conclusions uh, because when I when I look at DNFs that don't work out so well where you know people are jumping to the solutions uh, before even <laughs> uh, coming and or before understanding the problem it's because there is that bias built in and no one stopped and and, and uh, checked that um, so I'll I'll just stop with those two I'd love to hear from Ben and Josh as well so I think that. One of the difficulties that people who are trying to get into product management and listening to these kinds of things are going to run into is that I'm going to say, I agree with everything that Sumeya said, and I'm going to add some more stuff onto it. And then you're going to get into this situation in which it feels like, oh, gosh, in order to be a product manager, I have to do 10,000 things really well. And that's honestly not the reality. The reality is I've seen product managers who do one thing really, really well. And oftentimes we're in a product team with other individuals that can support us. So I wanted to like preface what I'm about to say by saying like, this may sometimes the sun sound this may sound overwhelming um, and have heart that you don't have to do all of these things by yourself. Um, but to answer the question, like to say, like add on my own flavor of those things, taking all the stuff that, that Samay was just saying, like being able to come up with hypotheses about why something's going to work versus why it's not going to work, being able to identify the core elements, being able to break it down. I think there's another aspect of being a good product manager, which is being able to, and I, I, I mentioned this earlier, which is telling a good story. Like we need to be able to connect it together. We need to be able to sell it. We are, unfortunately, as much as I, I don't really want to think of myself as a salesperson, I think product managers are salespeople. I have to sell my vision to or the team's vision to the broader team. I have to sell it to the executives. I have to sell it out, down, left, and right. I have to sell it to our um, product uh, marketing teams. I have to sell it to the PR folks afterwards, the support teams, our influencers, pundits, customers, et cetera, et cetera. It's being able to pull that all together. And even at this space that we're talking about, this big nebulous idea, the more nebulous it is, the more kind of like wacky it is the better a job you have to do at selling it. And the best way of selling it is it's got to be super tight and it has to be compelling and it has to align with the audience. So being able to break things down, as you heard Sumeya talk about it, and then be able to say like, okay, where's the thread through all these elements? How do I tie it together in this really nice bow and hand it over so somebody is like, yeah, I want that. I'm excited about this and I can't wait to build it or buy it. And that's something that's additionally really, really important to be as a product manager. And the better that you're able to kind of like communicate your vision in a really positive, exciting and enticing way, the easier you'll have a job of, of becoming a product manager and being able to like convince people to hire you. And I, I would just say that take comfort in the fact that I don't know how you feel about this, um, but most of the best product managers that I've met haven't been product managers their whole career. And I think a lot of them bring their diverse set of experiences prior to becoming product managers and really take the product management on a team to the next level. So one of the things as a hiring manager that I always do every time I go into a hiring round is say, what skills does my team have? And then make sure that I hire the exact opposite or different skills than what we already have, right? Because I believe if you're energetic enough and if you are passionate enough and if you are smart enough, and you, you know, just blatantly just care enough, you will learn all of those skills from this amazing team that I already have. Hopefully you'll bring something new that we can learn too. And um, I think back, like I haven't been a product manager my whole career. I spent eight years as a management consultant for a big consulting firm. And 
yeah, you're right. right. I think Josh hit the nail on the head. Sales is a big part of it. I learned how to sell there. I learned how to take big complex problems and break them down. I learned how to scope work out because man, let me tell you, if you're in a, in a consulting leadership role and you sell work that you can't deliver under that time frame, it leads to customer satisfaction, but it also leads to a lot of uh, anger on your team because they're working hours that are beyond unreasonable. So I, I think, again, learning your story, learning what you are good at, treating product management as a craft and as a discipline and making sure you're dedicated to learning that, but then augmenting that with what unique skills you bring to the table into that framework is really powerful. And now it's your chance uh, to share your comments or what we'd love is if you have a question. And while we're waiting for them to come up on stage, I do have one product management joke, which is, what's the hardest part about being a product manager? Uh, This is rhetorical. I will answer it. It's explaining what you do to your parents. That is right. That is the joke. Please don't hate me. I didn't make it up. Uh, So with that in mind, we got some folks coming up on stage. (laughs) Uh, Tony, welcome back. Prayup, welcome back. I'm going to defer to the first individuals that came up on stage. Uh, ben, you came off mute. Did you have a question or a comment about my interesting sense of humor? I didn't. I did come off mute though, but uh, I could use a life coach. <laughs> well, it's easier to tell your parents you're a marriage counselor than to try to explain to them what you do in product. Uh, but with that in mind, uh, Tony, welcome back from Thinkific. Uh, as someone who's done work globally, what is your question? Uh, what 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 do you have to say? The mic is yours. Thanks, Red, and uh, thanks, Jeff, and Samaya, and Josh, and Ben for sharing a lot of uh, your thoughts on the vision and uh, how to work with a product team on that, and how to work you know with leadership team and your pot team to deliver projects uh, and and products. Uh, so um, I guess my question is kind of related to how do you how do you align. Uh, just enough context with your team to get work started. Um, you know, in, in product management, we're always trying to make sure that uh, we bring enough context to the team so they understand uh, when they're building something, they're building towards a goal. Uh, you know, they're building towards a vision. Uh, so internally, we use a lot of documentations, uh, such as the strate- strategic intent documentation or problem framing or solution framing, which we kind of um, piece together from uh, Amazon's uh, FAQ PR or PR FAQ documents, uh, and as well as uh, the design thinking uh, to uh, really produce some of the context for the team to understand and align with the leadership on why we should be building for a product. And one difficulty I have with uh, building, when, when when I was writing those documents was, um, I don't know how much of details I should kind of put into those documents. And sometimes those documents are really text heavy. Uh, so I don't know if you have any tips or um, any experience working with using documentations to align with the leadership as well as your pod to uh, get work started and make sure they fully understand why we're doing certain things and use that as a way to influence without authority. Thank you. Hey, Ben, uh, not to pick on you, but being that Expedia is a Northwest company and he did reference Amazon, I'm wondering if they've adopted something similar that you can speak to. Yeah, for sure. Look, I I love a good doc. Uh, It is impossible to work in the greater Seattle area without having, at at any company, right, at any tech company, to not have a boss who comes from Amazon, right? That is impossible. So 
I think part of it is is if you are influencing and trying to get your project greenlit, as an example, um, understanding how they want to see that information presented. So for some, it might be a PR FAQ. For some other, others, it might be um, a multi-page document. For a lot of people at Expedia Group, though, it still is a good old-fashioned presentation. And I think what I like about Expedia in general is it gives you an opportunity to practice both because those are two very, very distinct skills. On one hand, I need to be very clear, thoughtful, have written really well uh, my ideas so that they come across on paper without any sort of discussion. And on the other side, you get to the sweet spot that I think uh, coming from my background, I had a little bit more experience with, which is I need to create a big, beautiful presentation. I need to have the ability to influence using my voice. I need to stand up to really hard questioning in the moment um, and, and sell my ideas. So I guess my big push is understand who you need to influence to get what you want out of the uh, out of that equation and make sure you tailor your work products accordingly. I would agree with that. But I do I have something I can finally disagree with Ben on. I work in Seattle and my boss does not come from Amazon. So boom. That's amazing. That. <laughs> you win. <laughs> um, I've had two that did come from Amazon in the last uh, six years. So yeah, <laughs> good, good for you. But uh, what's, what's interesting about what you're saying, I think I, I feel is really, really important to underscore is know your audience. And if your audience would be better served by a long form written document, that is handled asynchronously, great. If they would be better convinced or swayed via some kind of impassioned like presentation and, and design elements, great. If they would be the kind of person where what you need is actually to find some skunk works kind of prototyper and or designer that you're going to go out there and you're going to build the thing and say like, we want this, but bigger, then do that. Like there are a billion ways of pitching uh, ideas to different people and one of the things that I, I usually try and look at it with is our, our leadership and our executives are kind of like bankers and we're trying to go to them and get a loan. What's the thing that they need to like sign the check for the resources? How am I going to approach that kind of loan application process? And sometimes you know what they need. You know, like there's a pretty much a written out process. This is where a loan application looks like, or this is what worked really well for other people. And sometimes you can even approach it completely differently than anybody else has done it before and still be successful. So the good news is that there's almost no single pathway to success in product management. The bad news is there's almost no single successful pathway to success in product management. Thank, thank you, Josh and Ben. I, I highly agree that the audience is quite important in, in that sense. Um, I have a really quick follow-up question, if you don't mind, is um, how, how do you know you have enough uh, data or insights uh, in your proposal uh, you know, that's just enough to convince uh, your team to work on that idea? I'll, um, I'll start with this one. Um, for me, uh, because I, I end up doing a lot of presentations for external clients as well, um, you know, where I'm trying to influence uh, either funding or other aspects, I always just start with what outcomes matter to, to the audience I'm speaking to and to one level higher than them. So I want to make it easy for them to also go to their bosses. Um, and uh, a lot of times, it's, it's, uh, both of them are executives, but they have different outcomes that they might care about. 
Um, and so I, I try to start, like to to build everything I share or the, the, the arguments, the most compelling arguments are built around the outcomes. Awesome. Tony, I will say this much. This has been a fantastic return and great additional question. Please DM uh, the speakers. Also, if you want, we have that Slack channel. Anybody who doesn't feel like getting on stage, jump into that Slack channel. If you do not know how to get access to it, DM me. Uh, and so if you have any, Tony, any additional follow-up questions or want to reach out to the moderators, feel free to use that. But um, thank you again and welcome back. Thank you. Of course. Um, and now hopefully I'm saying your name correctly, but uh, Priya or Priya with the uh, amazing butterflies in the profile. Is that, how yeah, do I say your it's name? it's Priya. Thanks, Red. Yeah, of course, no, Priya. Welcome, welcome. What's the question? Yeah, uh, I'm, still, I'm still not able to convince my parents about what I do. All that they know <laughs> is I work in the technology space. <laughs> uh, uh, thanks, Sumaya, for introducing the Discovery and Framing Framework. I, I'm a big fan. I, uh, I love listening to your insights. Um, and I'm working as a product owner at a startup. So I have a question, which is a follow-up of what Tony was just also alluding to uh, as to enough what what's the enough data for me to do uh, approach a approach a decision which is data driven because uh, at a startup I don't have have a research team uh, or uh, I uh, I lack on those resources uh, to guide me make those decisions and uh, just understanding my user persona itself can turn it turn into a long research projects and uh, often more often than not I don't have that liberty uh, of approaching something to a framework it's it's chaotic quite a few times I do try to do my best at approaching things in a framework uh, that's that's my question number one I don't know if it makes sense is to uh, prototype quickly but in a way that it doesn't turn into a research project I guess that's the question and question number Two, uh, uh, I hope it's okay to ask two questions, Fred. Of course, of course. I think, please, maybe it'll help yeah. decipher the first question too. Sure. And then um, we're trying to uh, devise an internal framework where we're trying to uh, have three pillars approached if, to do our prioritization. That's customer value, strategic value, and uh, the ease of Im implementation. I would like uh, I, I like uh, all of you to weigh in on that. How do you think about that? And is there like a weight, weight that you give to either or of these pillars or, or if I have to think about any additional vectors in this framework? Thank you. Before I answer or any of us answer the questions, it would be helpful for me if you could remind me what are the three pillars that you just mentioned? Uh, we're looking at Customer value, which include uh, buyers and end users as customers, and then strategic value. And the third one that we're considering is ease of implementation. Just, just what's the level of effort that's going to be required to work on something? Did you want to take this one, Ben, to start? So I think, Priya, there's, so the answer to your first question, again, it gets back into that kind of nuanced, it depends. However, if what you're trying to figure out is like, hey, how do I test my way into, is this a good idea or not? And the answer is oftentimes it's, especially in a brand new space that you're not that familiar with, that you don't have that much success, that you can't kind of like say, oh, this is a lot like that last thing that I did. It's going to be, what is the fastest way to get something into the hands of people? Is it paper prototype? Is it a website? Is it a piece of software that you can actually get in there? 
do you have an application that you can actually stand up internal tests? Like if you think of a way that uh, Google Labs and Gmail Labs used to work where they had like these little kind of ideas that they would throw out there to customers and see if people pick them up. Like what is the mechanism that you have to get signal? Because the most important thing is kind of like you think about your, your wheels are spinning and they haven't caught anything yet and you need signal. And that signal can be anything. It could be a customer saying, I like this. It could be usage. It could be conversion. It could be saying, I intend to purchase this if it was available, like with a, a really quick prototype website. Like basically what you need to do is you need to find some way of getting signal and your point of like, how do I do this with the minimum amount of effort and energy is absolutely spot on. Um, but it all depends. And usually it's going to come back to if you do something that's not deep or strong enough, you ask yourself the question, is the signal that I'm getting, maybe it's a negative signal. Is that negative signal because I didn't actually build enough of a product? Um, and so figuring out those kinds of questions and doing it iteratively and trying to throw things out there sooner rather than later, kind of like what Ben was talking about earlier, which I thought was great about it's better to get it out there and, and iterate and test and validate with your customers than it is to sit on a product idea forever and not have any idea. Yeah, I would just I, I said I was going to sit this out, Josh, but now I can't I can't help it. Right. Because you're, you're spot on as far as I'm, I'm thinking. It's like I have seen so many product managers get paralyzed trying to do market sizing and all of this deep customer research and data. And at the end of the day, they paralyze themselves when they could have just tried to get a signal really quickly. Right. Do something quick. Do something dirty. Get a signal and then move forward. And I, I think that's a really important foundational skill for product managers to be comfortable with be scrappy as heck yeah (laughs) um and and to take that uh, one level lower um i would say break down your big uh assumptions into smaller ones and figure out which one of those assumptions is the riskiest one and then just go do enough validation to just validate that one assumption or that one small piece like that riskiest one uh and once you do you're gonna feel like oh i still don't have enough data and that's just the right time for you to validate Uh, i think some of the the best pms always have that you know funny feeling in their in their gut when (laughs) they're about to test something they're like oh maybe i should do a little more research but then they don't and that's great uh, don't don't get into that analysis paralysis. I've gone, by the way, when I talk about my own journey uh, to product management, I was a founder and a co-founder. And one, as a co-founder of this fintech app, my biggest failure point that I can point to was analysis paralysis around taking action. I wanted to just do so much more, you know, customer research and market research. Uh, and it turned out not to be the right thing. Well, I got to tell you, um, Priya, this question of yours, this topic really reminds me of another joke. I guess I'm on a roll today, folks. But how many project managers does it take to change a light bulb? None, because they're all still discussing the best way to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Which reminds me, there is a second part of the question we have not answered. (laughs) That's right. The the three-pronged approach. Um, so Priya, the, the way I think about it, I mean, my approach has over the years become a lot more simpler. Uh, when we're talking about the strategic decisions, those are usually the ones that impact the roadmap, 
So strategic decisions should be tied to outcomes. Everything really should be tied to outcomes. And then at the end of the day, when it comes to prioritization at the level of the, you know, the sprint planning or the iteration planning, whatever you call it, uh, that's when I'm pretty clear that it's always customer focused. So we, we try to prioritize based on the customer and uh, believe it or not, sometimes even tech debt um, is, is impactful to the customer. So I, that over time has become the simplest way for me to prioritize is not to use multiple, um, multiple factors for one, for, for the same, um, for the same, um, feature or same epic or whatever the, the part of the solution, I would just use strategy, um, at the high level, especially with outcomes for a roadmap. And then I would let the product team decide based on their user-centered approach uh, for the iterations and sprints. Thank you, Sumeya. And thank you, Priya, for that great question that uh, kickstarted a good conversation here. I have to add uh, a random story that nobody cares about, but since I have an audience. Uh, you know, when I teach product management here at the University of Washington, I would tell them to be scrappy, and I would always have a uh, reference to Scrappy-Doo from Scooby-Doo. Um, and my students would look at me like um, I was from another planet. But then one day, a Facebook product manager came and had Scrappy-Doo on one of her opening slides, and I felt validated. Um, <laughs> come on, give me something. Nothing? Woo-hoo! <laughs> there we go. Thank you. <laughs> 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 it's getting hot in here. Yeah. It's the mute button, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Rhett, Rhett inspired me with a little bit of comedy. I had to open up with a story that uh, landed flat. Just, But anyway, uh, you, this is exactly what we're teaching people, is you put it out there, you have a hypothesis as to what you expect to happen, and you learn from it and, and pivot uh, based off of what happens. Um, but another comment that I want to make to Priya's question is, uh, and based off the responses we've got, is a lot of people, I, I've heard some people refer to product managers as risk managers, and one of your jobs is to de-risk and to manage risk. Uh, so you'll never have all the information that you have that you think you need to make a decision, even if you've got a big research team and you're at a big tech company, uh, there's still always going to be risk, and your job is to manage that risk uh, and learn from uh, trials and, and, and experimentation. Um, now I want to turn it to concluding thoughts. Samaya. You're here every week, and every week we get to hear from you. Uh, but today we've talked about specifically about taking a, an ambitious and ambiguous vision and turning it into uh, motivating work that other people can do. You don't have to do just yourself. Uh, could you, do you have any concluding thoughts on the topic? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one thing I, I didn't get a chance to touch on, and um, I, I want to clarify is this finding clarity in ambiguity or taking big problems and defining a path forward is something that the whole product team partners on and does together. Um, Yes, it is the responsibility of the PM, but take heart in the fact that you have so many people on the team who look at the same problem from different angles, who look at the opportunity from different angles, and make sure you partner with them closely so that you you arrive at the best solution together. Um, And I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Jeff and Brad and uh, Josh and Ben. All right. Thank you, Sumeya for those concluding thoughts and uh, your wisdom week after week here on How to Succeed in Product Management, a podcast now uh, recorded here on Clubhouse. 
Uh, Josh, do you have any concluding thoughts? Boy, oh boy. Um, let's see here. The most important thing like to add on to what Sumeya is saying for me is, ah, oh, man, I, that's actually just so important what Sumeya said. So maybe I'll just plus one what she said and, and reiterate it slightly. The fact of the matter is that the old way of thinking about product management is the product manager is the CEO. And that is just such a lonely place to be. And the reality is that we're there together and we're, I like to think of us as sometimes more like the cheerleader slash coach of the team, supporting, guiding, and also like just being supported back. And the idea of expecting you to have all the answers is probably the wrong way of thinking about it. So making sure that you leverage these techniques that have been shared, the DNF framework, other frameworks, other approaches, but also your team that's there for you to make sure that you're able to come to the solution together. I think that's that to me is the most important thing when especially thinking about like how do you do this as somebody who's not yet a product manager? How do you get into product management? I think that what you shared to me is great. All right. And then Josh, I think wanted to add to that also to be scrappy do. Yes? No? Oh absolutely. Uh, be <laughs> scrappy, scrappy dabby do. There we go. Thank you. That 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 made it all worth it. Um so much for my whole lesson on learning. I went back right to it. Um, ben, um, do you have any concluding thoughts for the audience here today? Yeah, I'll go a step further than Josh on that last one. I would say, if you think that being a product manager is akin to being the CEO, you're, you're wrong. And I would say the worst product managers, I talked about the best product managers before, the worst product managers that I've worked with in my career have probably come in with that mindset. The reality is you don't manage anybody as a product manager. You are part of a team. and the analogy that I, I like to say is your job as a product manager is to make sure that marketing doesn't imagine a product that would sell like crazy, but technology can't build. And the technology doesn't build a product that's super cool tech that nobody wants, right? And I think if you can come in with some humility in the role and you can listen and you can get the teams to collaborate and you realize that, hey, good ideas are just as likely to come from a brand new engineer on the team as they are you, then I think you're going to go super far. and. I really view a big part of our role as a product team is to help people understand the why. Why are we doing things? Why should they care? Why is this product going to make a difference in the lives of somebody? And, and how is that going to happen? And I work in a travel company and I work on internal facing tools for a travel company, right? Which I think a lot of people would look at and go, hey, maybe that's not the most exciting part of the business. And for a lot of people, maybe it's not. But the reality is Expedia Group is a collection of brands. We have Verbo, Travelocity, Hotwire, Expedia, Hotels.com, on and on and on. And so I view us as one of the largest B2B businesses serving some of the biggest travel brands in the world. And if I can get my team excited to think about our products as serving some of the biggest travel brands out there, then they're going to work harder. They're going to buy in and they're going to they're gonna make better products for our internal customers, which I think at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. All right. Thank you, Ben. Wonderful to have you here. Uh, Red, you're here every week, but you still get a chance to give concluding thoughts, especially because you are responsible for this existing. You got us on Clubhouse. You uh, have attempted to sponsor this turning into a podcast. What do you want to say here at the end of the show? Yeah, well, I, I have to echo Ben's words here. You want everyone aligned that they're part of the mission. Um, and right now, for each of the shows going forward, if you have a topic or an idea, you would like us to cover. A lot of these have been sourced from our community and we want to continue doing that. 
So there's an events channel in our Slack. Um, we haven't gotten to 500 just yet. We're almost there. And uh, if you want to join and, and propose next week's topic, we're here for you every week, Tuesday at four. Um, and if you're someone who's in the product management community who'd like to speak, please reach out to us. Your voices are meant to be heard in this channel. Uh, so with that in mind, um, Jeff, I'll give it back to you. And, and thank you, moderators, for making yet another incredible, inspirational week. Thank you. Thank you, Red. And uh, thank you to our uh, panelists here today. Again, great insights today about uh, taking an ambitious and ambiguous vision and translating it into meaningful work that uh, the team can get behind. A lot of insights uh, shared today. And yes, one of the insights was that doing the customer discovery and making sure you understand what problem customers have. And so we want to understand what problems you're having. So uh, DM Red and join that Product Management Center Slack channel and let us know, what do you want us to talk about? Uh, because we're here to make sure that you can be better at product management. Uh, so my name is Jeff Schulman, and I'm just a, a enjoying this journey here with all of you uh, every week. And I've been, uh, a, it's been a pleasure founding the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington, where we're trying to build a global hub for knowledge, uh, community, and impact. And that impact that we want to have is where we're going to develop a more diverse, a more inclusive and skilled product management community. And we need all of you to help us do that. And so Red shared one way you can help us do that by coming here on stage and being our panelist on a future show. Uh, another way you could do that is reaching out to me on LinkedIn and saying, how do you want to connect with current and aspiring product managers? And uh, we've got lots of ways that we're cooking up lots of new ideas that we could really make uh, product management more inclusive and the products that we create more accessible and inclusive uh, and we need your help to do that. So uh, thanks for joining us this week. I hope you'll tune in next week at 4 p.m. And if you can, take a moment to rate the podcast in your favorite podcasting app so that others can find uh, these insights that uh, we want to live on beyond just today's conversation. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Samea. And I look forward to working with you again soon uh, to help make uh, a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. Have a good day, everybody. Thanks, Jeff. Bye-bye. Woohoo! <laughs> Scrappy Deppy Doo! <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. <laughs> Take care. See ya. Bye.